0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 105. I'm Sean.
1: Mike Walauke.
0: I am so excited to be here this week to be discussing a film that I cannot believe as I say it out loud is almost 20 years old to the point that when you said to me 2001 right before I turned the microphones on, I actually had to fact check that.
1: What's up with that? Why didn't you
0: believe me? It's not that I didn't believe you. It's just that I can't believe that this movie at the time of this recording is going to be celebrating its 20th anniversary next year. This is not a movie that to me seems like it's 20 years old.
1: No, not at all. I mean definitely feels like early Pixar when you compare it to something like a Zootopia or even Ratatouille, but it does not feel 20 years old at all. And maybe that's because we've had Monsters U more recently, which, by the way, is why we decided to do these back to back. Yes. Um, You know, there's obviously been a lot of back and forth with returning to school this year and some Students are still being taught remotely and depending on where you are in the country, in the world, you may or may not be back in school. And regardless, it's been a difficult year for everyone. So we wanted to celebrate back to school and make it a positive thing.
0: And I think you're going to enjoy this slightly more than last year when we went back to school and we did almost a month on High School Musical, um, which you guys can go and uh, get yourself caught up on monorealradio.com. You can go get every episode or you can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. But, yes, going back to school next week. That's the prequel. This week, though, we are talking about what happens when you get out of school And to be honest with you, these are probably the only two people I know, though not really people, but the only two beings I know that are actually using their college education (laughs) in the field that they went to college for. Because, of course, we are talking about Monsters, Inc., where as we see a monster training at Monsters, Inc., we then learn how important it is to not leave doors open as a child could enter Monstropolis, and cross-contaminate. We also learn that Monsters, Inc. is in the business of collecting the screams of children to power the city. I knew I liked this movie from the start. (laughs) We are then introduced to the legendary scarer, Sully, and his colleague, Mike Wazowski, who are attempting to secure the all-time scare record for Sully. They get to work, and they see that it's Celia's birthday. Celia is Mike's girlfriend, and that Mike is taking her to Harryhausen's. It's the best restaurant in town, of course, thanks to Sully, who made the reservation for them. We then meet Randall, another scarer who is also going after the all-time record. We see the scarers go to work on the scare floor— and a 2319 gets called after George, one of the scarers, comes out of a child's bedroom with a sock on his back. The CDA is sent in to destroy the sample and has to shut down the floor for another half hour and reset the system and make sure that everything is sanitized. At the end of the day, Mike realizes that he never filed his paperwork, but Sully offers to do it for him so as to not miss his date with Celia. Upon returning to the floor, Sully finds a door remaining. He enters it and immediately is met by an infant that wants to play. Terrified, he leaves her room, but soon realizes that she crossed over into Monstropolis. He sees that Randall is the reason why the door was there, as he is working after hours to try and get an advantage In regards to breaking the scare record, Sully goes to Harryhausen's to tell Mike what he has seen, except the child escapes and starts to run amok in the restaurant, sending Monstropolis into a panic. While trying to hide the girl, they are astonished to see that her laughter has led to an incredible power surge, more so than her scares ever could. And as time goes on, Sully develops an affinity for the child, who he names Boo, much to the dismay of Mike as he fears banishment from Monstropolis. They dress Boo as a monster, and the next day bring her to Monsters, Inc. in the hopes of returning her home. Randall approaches Mike about the child, because now it's all over the news, and Mike tells Randall that he knows all about Randall's cheating. Randall tells Mike that Boo's door will appear during their lunch break. They have a half an hour to get her returned because there's nobody on the floor. But Sully doesn't believe what Randall is telling them. Mike enters the door to prove that it's safe, but Randall shows up... And traps Mike in a container, believing that he is Boo. It's not his intention to trap Mike, and then he sends the door away. Sully sees this entire thing. Sully pursues them to see that Randall has developed a scare extracting machine as a ways of uh, as a means of revolutionizing the scare industry and further getting himself wealthy and advantages with the scare record. Sully eventually rescues Mike, but is intercepted by their boss, Mr. Waternoose, and is asked to give a demonstration to the new rookies at Monsters, Inc. Boo sees that Sully is in fact a scarer. ...as he gives this demonstration, and now she is afraid of him. Mike tells Waternoose of Randall's plans, but it turns out that Waternoose is working with Randall... ...and banishes Mike and Sully to what happens to be the Himalayas, and they take Boo captive... Mike and Sully learn of a village that may lead them back to Monstropolis if they can find a child's door. But Mike is furious with Sully and leaves him to set out on his own. Sully does find a door and enters Monstropolis through the village and sets off to save Boo. Mike soon follows and they are soon chased by Celia, Randall, and Waternoose. Waternoose and Randall are trying to stop them and Celia is just furious with Mike Wazowski. They bounce from door to door, country to country, right as Randall looks to have Sully beaten. Uh, But Boo attacks him and saves Sully, who, along with Mike, banishes Randall to the human world. As they attempt to get Boo home, Waternoose and the CDA are waiting for them. Mike distracts the CDA as Sully returns Boo, quote-unquote, Home. It turns out that they have lured Waternoose into the simulator and they learn of his plan to kidnap children to keep the company alive. All of this is then exposed. We learn that Roz, who was working at Monsters, Inc. as well was actually an undercover agent for the CDA and not a Monsters, Inc. employee. And Waternoose is arrested. They return Boo home, and Roz tells them that her door must be destroyed. So Sully says goodbye, and the door is destroyed in what I can only describe as a wood chipper. But he keeps a piece of the door as a memento. Monsters, Inc. changes their approach and reopens the scare floor as the left floor. And the power shortage that they were afraid was going to happen in the beginning of the movie is avoided. Mike rebuilds Boo's door but needs that final piece. Sully reattaches it and returns to the human world to visit Boo. So there is an awful lot going on here. There is a lot to unpack in this movie. And I think the, the brilliance of this movie is that you are caught off guard. From the very beginning of the film. When you think that you are watching a monster go into a child's bedroom to scare them, and it turns out that it's really just a simulator.
1: I love the horror fake out, it's so brilliant. And what I really love about the setup, too, is that similar to Toy Story, it poses the question you know, what happens? When you're not around, what are your toys actually do? What if they had life here? It takes it one step further because what happens if there really is a monster in your closet? And not only do they answer that question, but they also give it so much depth because it's not just a scary monster. They created obviously the entire world of monsters, but They're really complex characters because their intent is not to scare. It's their job. Right. And it just creates such a fully fleshed out world. I I honestly think this is probably the best world building to date in any Pixar movie. I'd have to watch Zootopia again to really lock that in. But I don't think Zootopia even knocked this one out of the top for me.
0: No, uh, Pixar, I don't believe Pixar made Wreck-It Ralph. I think that was a straight Disney animation.
1: It feels like a Pixar because just of the video game nature, but that is a Disney movie, like Frozen and Tangled.
0: But that's another great world build, and in both Ralph movies, both Wreck-It Ralph and Ralph Breaks the Internet. But that's in terms, true, yeah. in terms of Pixar, though, so it's very interesting because Pixar, I mean, even looking back, to Toy Story, when it came to Andy's room, they did a lot of unique things with that setting. But I think you're right. To create an entire world, this is some of the best that we've ever seen. And I love to to piggyback off of what you said. I love that they gave them a purpose. Yes, they're not just scaring for the sake of being scary that there is an end game here for them.
1: And similar to Toy Story 2 with the world building, they all had such specific functions and immediately that gets flipped on its head because you find out they're moving. And then, okay, Buzz Lightyear comes and completely offsets their normal day-to-day. And here, you sort of have the same thing, but they really stretch it out a little bit longer and give you so much more detail Because you then find out it's not only that they have jobs, but the screams serve a purpose and they're powering an entire city, which is brilliant. And then we start to develop the story and develop the characters through this opening sequence and they're showing you like a mundane commute to work and you're meeting your two main guys and it's exposing all of this function.
0: Right, and unlike a lot of other films, with the exception of the scare record, it's not like there's really a power struggle going on here. Exactly. So that makes it very unique, and I think that what really works for this film as well is the window of innocence shrinking, that whole commentary on we need to work harder. Really, you're working harder to take home less because you've got to work harder to get something out of these kids, which is even something that they had made a comment on in Halloween Town. When in, in when you see the bus going back to Halloween Town, when Marnie sneaks onto the bus with her brother mm-hmm. and you have the monsters sitting there saying, you know, it's not like it used to be. The kids aren't scared. I mean, they're still... Kind of in that struggle here. And I think it really works, not only for the film, but also very much as a social commentary.
1: See, that's interesting that you got out of it. You're working harder to take home less because to me, I really honed in to the kids being desensitized, which, you know, we said we can't believe this feels like 2000, this is a 2001 film because it doesn't feel that old, especially because that is such a recent issue. It's something that we're still dealing with. It's, yeah. you know, the the generation of kids that have been raised by cell phones and video games. And even, even back in 2001, they're hitting on it.
0: I mean, you think about movies... Like, for example, I just had background television on and I was watching Poltergeist. I mean, this movie... Poltergeist is nearly 40 years old and it's better than anything that's being put in theaters now. But if a kid watched Poltergeist because it's not a torture film, because some of the I mean, the special effects are great. A lot of a lot of practical effects, but you can tell what's a puppet and what's not. Sure. Just by virtue of it's an older film, it's it's scarier than anything you're going to see. And I think that an eight-year-old kid is not going to find that movie scary. I agree. So you're right. This is something that has been talked about for a really long time. I love that they wove it into the storyline here.
1: Right, like with the dead doors. Yes. That the whole door system um, blows my mind. Every single time I watch this, like no matter how many times I sit down to view this movie, it just never gets old again with the world building. It's so efficient, not just because of the system that they have in place, but even such a quick throwaway line of, okay, we're going to do the Eastern seaboard. It sort of expands your mind to this entire other world that's taking place because we are being introduced to a new world as far as, what Mike and Sully are showing us, but then it really does complete the full picture because then you can have different scare floors that are terrorizing different parts of the country because there are different or, or different parts of the world because there are different time zones. And the fact that they even just took it one step farther with that little line creates so much of a full picture. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I don't think the brilliance of this work space and and, and factory that they've created can be, Overstated. I I mean, it is, again, with the world building, absolutely brilliant. I, too, love the disposing of the dead doors, but watching them from the moment they get there... Punching a clock. Hey, good morning. How are you? They got their work, their work helmets on. They got their lunch. The panels. locker room, and they're just like, as soon as they okay, let's get to work. And they're they're scanning cards and they're swiping doors and they're they're getting in and they're get everything. It's so functional. It's ridiculous. I mean, it is so well thought out. It's absolutely brilliant.
1: Even down to the point of Mike and Sully because they do have different job functions. Like yes, obviously Mike is a monster, but. He's really almost an assistant.
0: Yeah, it's it's his responsibility to get the doors in and file the paperwork.
1: It's almost like now now that I'm thinking about it and I'm it's only dawning on me right now, it's almost like the Walt and Roy relationship. You have the creative and you have the business. And Sully's going to go in and he's going to scare and do his thing, but you need somebody to still take care of the paperwork.
0: Yeah. Really interesting, unique relationship between them. And we'll talk more about them once we get into characters in just a little while here. But yeah, like you talked about the locker room scene after work and he's getting ready to take Celia on this date. And I love the little tongue-in-cheek, you know, when, when you are getting ready to go out for a night, you're going to put on deodorant. You're going to put on perfume. The monsters put on odorant and... I love, do you have wet dog? Do you have low tide? Everything about that, It it's, it's so minute. I should not like it as much as I do. But again, it just goes to show that they were so careful and they checked every little box, even with the minutiae, to try and give this really, like, Adverse reality to to ours, if that makes any sense whatsoever.
1: And they did it in such a humorous way without getting too gross as yes. far as what the stenches were. Oh
0: yeah, because it, it you could very easily go down a disgusting rabbit hole, you know, like um, New
1: what, York City garbage out by the curb in July,
0: or what was that flatula? Was that that stupid? F- oh lord, okay, in Treasure Planet, you know, they totally avoid all that, and it works here.
1: You mentioned the date. So I just want to movie nerd out for a second with the name of this restaurant Harryhausen's. Uh, there was a very famous writer, director, producer, actor, special effects guru Ray Harryhausen. Uh, probably his most notable film was Jason and the Argonauts, um, and he did, you know, like all the original armatures and and basically had a big hand in pushing stop-motion animation forward.
0: Some really early special effects.
1: Very early. He, he did a lot of those, um, like, creepy puppet movies. Yeah, sure. Not not with the intent of being a horror film, but, like, you know those those puppets that had, like, the really rosy cheeks and the long noses? Yes. That was all him. Um, so this the name of the restaurant, Harryhausen, was a little hat tip, which I thought was really nice.
0: Yeah, uh, and that doesn't surprise me. Again, you know, with, with Disney being... So deliberate yet careful with a lot of... Because there's Easter eggs all over this movie. Um You know, Disney-related, there's Easter eggs all over this movie. Oh, yeah. So for them to throw something like that in there is certainly not a surprise. I want to talk about after the dinner date falls completely apart because Boo runs a rampage in the restaurant, the game of telephone that starts getting played... For lack of a better word, the the game of telephone that starts getting played. When you see the newscast from the restaurant and you have all of these so-called eyewitnesses. (laughs) Yes. It's sadly accurate.
1: Oh, so true. So true. I think it's a very clever way to tell the story instead of... Just doing a montage. I mean, it is a montage because they just kind of slapped all the quotes together back to back, but it's not like a music montage. Yeah. It's just a really clever way to push it forward and show how immediately out of hand this situation becomes.
0: Right. And where the movie starts to take off, for me at least, is you've watched these characters have a purpose. We talked about that before, they have a purpose. They're not just scaring for the sake of, right? And we later know that they went to college for this in Monsters U. Where the movie really starts to take off is the role reversal. Where Sully needs to keep the monsters away. He's been nothing but a monster. This is what he has trained for his entire life and is the best at his craft. And now he has to protect the child that he went in to scare from being scared. And I think this is where you start to give the character substance. I think this is where you start to flesh him out an awful lot, but this is where the heart of the movie really starts to take off.
1: That's a great point. And I think the, the news montage does serve to bring the audience into how Sully's feeling. I mean, obviously you can see the panic on his face, but there's only so much running around and freaking out that he can do. So this kind of helps us to feel his panic even more. Yes. They even take that one step farther in the next scene where Sully has to put Boo to bed. I love this scene. I think this is, like you said, where the character really starts to shine. Um, Obviously, he's questioning himself quite a bit at this point because she's scared of... What if there's a monster in the closet? So he has to go check and make sure the closet's all clear. Um, But that serves twofold because it's not only about him starting to reflect on his job and what he's doing and what that really means, um, but it also sets up that Randall is specifically targeting her.
0: Well, yeah, because each monster is assigned to a certain segment of children.
1: And I like for as thorough as the beginning is with the world building, they don't really zero in on that until this moment when she draws the picture of her monster in the closet. That's another thing I want to hit on, by the way. I love, I mean, we said it before, I love the door system, but I love that we s- we stuck with the closets. There's no monster under the bed. There's no... There's no other stereotypical scares. I like that they just stuck to this world. Well, they
0: had to make it so that a monster could enter and exit the room. So that was really the only way that you could do it.
1: Right. What's amazing, too, is now our focus has shifted to Randall and him being sort of the quote-unquote villain because that is Boo's assigned monster and... Sully is trying to reconcile that he's doing something bad, but he's a good guy because he starts to fall more and more in love with Boo as it goes on. Um, But then when he gets exposed for what he really is in the simulator, it really is kind of shocking to be put in Boo's seat and see him. We haven't seen him yell like this either. We know that he's doing the scares, but we haven't seen a scare from him. We just see what he's collecting. So to see the full out raging monster, um, I, I think it's a great climax for the character as, as far as where he's really got to break down from this point.
0: Yeah. It's a really powerful scene. Um, I'd go so far as to say, I think it's one of the most powerful scenes that you'll see in a Disney film. Um, for all of those reasons because even though you know it's what his even though you know it's what he's supposed to do it's what his job is you have gotten so removed from it at that point in the movie and 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 you have started to really fall for sully as he's loving this child that for him to go back to it even though you know it's what he was doing you almost feel betrayed
1: Exactly. That's the perfect way to put it. Because you're also rooting for him, too. You want him to break the record. You hate Randall. You want to see him win. And then it's like, well, wait, we don't want you to win on those terms. This is not okay.
0: Yeah. So, Randall working with Waternoose, this starts to get fleshed out shortly thereafter. Um, I think... I mean it's it's all right it's fine. I mean the movie has a lot of twists and turns in it. I guess because Waternoose I suppose is the villain but he's a very lame villain. If if it's him on his own. So you needed something else to happen to sort of make him believable? I I don't know. It's it's hard to s- it's hard to pinpoint because th- there's no villains but there's no anti-heroes it's this movie is very unique in that aspect. Where, I mean, I I honestly don't know. Like all the years of watching this, you have Randall who's cheating, and he's created this scare extraction system that, in essence, is horrible because you're trapping children and hooking them up to a machine. But he's and he's doing it selfishly because he wants to become wealthy, but. I mean, there is the part of me that says, while morally wrong, he's also doing what he's supposed to do, which is collect as many screams as possible.
1: Right. And being that the screams aren't monetary, that they need it as a power source, you're still as the audience rooting for them to get what they need. Um. To circle back to what you said about Waternoose, he's no Hans. To me, Hans is the ultimate double-crosser in Frozen, but I think the difference is that Hans is not only the bad guy, he's also doing all of the dirty work himself. That's why I think that Waternoose seems like a weak villain because he's the brains, but Randall is the brawn, and he's carrying out all of the kidnapping, all of the scare extracting. Um, But I do have to say, though, I think this is actually a better subplot than if they had taken the concept of kids being desensitized and running with that and making your story about coming up with new and different ways to scare. Because then the other smart thing that they did here is that they put it in the context of our world. Even though they have brought us into Metropolis, they brought us into their world, and we completely understand everyone's function and how everything works, you've now posed a threat to children in the real world. And it, it makes the monsters dangerous again. So it kind of brings the audience full circle. Because now we're back to where we started. Where you're supposed to be afraid of monsters.
0: Well, I think that's the other thing too with Waternoose as a villain. Because he, technically he's not really doing anything. He's just looking the other way and allowing Randall to do what he wants.
1: Right. And the way that he sort of takes Sully under his wing, that's why I compare him to Hans because ultimately he's lying and that's part of the fake out. But at the same time, he's not really lying to Sully either because he does need him to teach the next generation how to scare because they're just not doing it well enough.
0: Right. So after they get through this subplot with Waternoose and Randall, now you have the added drama of trying to get Boo home and these two are on your tail. I I suppose that had to happen because if it was just them trying to get her home, it's just not, there's not enough there to to carry the film.
1: Well, we are forgetting another point and it's funny that you skipped over it because in my mind, I never remember this scene where they banish them into the freezing Arctic, the Himalayas. Yes. Um, and I thought it was so clever that they brought them face to face with another elusive monster. And and to sort of make a legend real in this case, I thought that was really funny. With
0: the abominable snowman.
1: Exactly. And they make a reference to Bigfoot as well. So I kind of like that they, they tied it to like our real monsters, even though I forget this scene exists every time.
0: Yeah, I, I do as well, and so I wonder if the scene is really even that necessary, because you get the argument between the two best friends that you know is going to come in almost every movie. Certainly, you've gotten accustomed to it in Disney movies, right? I mean, I mean we talked about Zootopia, and we talked about Wreck-It Ralph, two movies immediately, I sit there and say, yeah, the same thing happens where you have your two protagonists fight with each other, they storm off, go in opposite directions, and eventually reconcile.
1: Right, because that this is unlike Toy Story in that regard because you have two alphas going at it the entire time that end up being friends. Here, they start off as friends, so yeah, you do need to give them that conflict.
0: But I agree with you. It's a scene that every time we watch the movie... I go, oh, yeah, and that scene.
1: But I do think they had to break up the door chase, which, by the way, again, brilliant. We get a glimpse of the door warehouse before we go to the Himalayas, but then we get to see the full ride when we get back out when they're being chased by Randall.
0: Which, by the way, would make a great single rail hanging roller coaster.
1: Wasn't there talk of that at one point? There
0: may have been. I think the thing with a movie like Monsters, Inc. is that you need an attraction that's going to appeal to children, which is why the Laugh Floor works. And it's certainly on brand for the movie. But I see this, and I think it would just make such a great ride.
1: We're going to put a pin in the Laugh Floor because I do want to talk about that later. But as far as the coaster, I could see if they ever had to redo Rock and Roller Coaster... Maybe this is how you do it, especially because the colors are so bright. They could easily, you know, do the dark ride and make the doors light up neon if you had to. I would prefer that to the layover of that horrible superstar limo ride in DCA. Oh,
0: the Monsters, Inc. ride in California Adventure is horrible.
1: I mean, it's better than what it was, but it's lame.
0: Yeah, it's... it's, I mean, it's... It is a dark ride for kitties. But, like, the thing is, it's not even, like, an endearing dark ride. Like, when you go to the Disneyland side and you go to Snow White's Scary Adventure and you go uh, to the Pinocchio attraction, you go to the Alice attraction, these are all old attractions when that was a very exciting thing to see in a traditional Disney dark ride. This looked like they tried to do that in the 2000s on the cheap and they did it poorly
1: it is lipstick on a pig
0: yeah it's really um if if you're gonna wait more than five minutes you can just skip it that's for certain um i mentioned before the easter eggs that are in the movie i love that you see jesse from toy story i love that you get Nemo I love that you have the Pixar ball and then at one point Mike Wazowski as they're making kids laugh he gets in on it and now he's not a scarer he's a laugher and and the one kid has the Tomorrowland poster and then I think he had a Frontierland poster in there too so I loved all those little cap tips in Disney history
1: and uh Pizza Planet too when Randall gets banished through that random door
0: into the trailer yes
1: Pizza Planet is making a delivery
0: I don't know that Pizza Planet's making a delivery so much as the delivery guy lives in the trailer.
1: Oh, I don't like to think of Randall as terrorizing the delivery guy. I want to circle back to Randall for a second, though. Um, Before the chase, when uh, Mike tries to apologize to Sully and he's beating Sully up, he's invisible. That is such dirty fighting. Like, I get where they were trying to go for the comedy of it because Mike is pouring his heart out and he doesn't know that Sully's getting beat up but I find it annoying every time um I
0: th- I think it's what Randall would do
1: I would agree with that I just it's annoying it's dirty
0: it's, I, All right it's nice that you think it's dirty but it's what he would have done and it's exactly what he did do in the movie it to me it makes sense it, yes it's dirty pool but I think if we learned anything about Randall it's that Randall doesn't care whether it's dirty pool or not
1: Speaking of Randall, should we start breaking down these characters?
0: Yeah, I think now is a good time. Um, Starting, of course, with Mike and Sully, who from the jump are just absolutely incredible. We'll, We'll talk about the individual performances here in a second, but I think this movie succeeds because from the start, they not only develop that these two have been friends for a long time, but... It feels very real. It feels very authentic. And they're both extremely likable from the start. So within the first two or three minutes of the movie, you are immediately invested in them.
1: I absolutely agree. I wouldn't go so far as to say they're a better duo than Buzz and Woody, but they are close.
0: I think you could easily put them up there with... Buzz and Woody, Baloo and Mowgli. I think in terms of Disney duos, they're probably on the Mount Rushmore. Absolutely. Starting uh, with Sully, John Goodman. um, Perfect casting. Absolutely perfect casting. I mean, listen, I've, I've watched John Goodman my entire life from Roseanne when he was Dan to being Fred Flintstone being Babe Ruth. I mean, this guy and Let's has... not
1: forget about Coyote Ugly.
0: Oh, that's right. I forget he was in it. But I've, I've only seen He's hardly in it. But I've only seen it once or twice. Yeah, isn't he her father? Yeah. I've only seen it once or twice. And then, for a few years, he made the turn into, like, he had to be in the Oscar-nominated films or he was doing horror movies. It was really strange, but it worked for him. And, I mean, listen, the man's a legend,
1: and Big Lebowski too. That's
0: right, and the Big Lebowski. We forgot about
1: Big Lebowski. He just
0: gives Sully so much life.
1: I couldn't think of anyone else to voice Sully. Not anybody who's
0: alive. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, like John no John Candy recommend. is probably the only other person that oh. could have done it, but obviously John Candy had passed away seven years before this movie was made.
1: That is a good one, but yeah, there's there's nobody else that I could think of that I would say, oh, that might have been a good second choice. And and likewise with Mike. I think Billy Crystal's perfect. I
0: love Billy Crystal in everything.
1: Well, that goes without saying. You think that he's marvelous. Sean uh, is a is huge marvelous. Billy Crystal fan. Um, they had actually considered him to be Buzz. And I'm really glad that they didn't go with that choice because i i just can't see it as buzz they actually um there's a video clip roaming around somewhere where they take some of his lines from sleepless in seattle and they animated buzz to billy crystal that is how close they came to actually casting billy crystal as buzz but i just don't see it and i just don't think that there's a better mike wazowski
0: no he's perfect especially once you introduce celia because they're so gooey, and it's terrible, but it's great. And I wish I could say that Jennifer Tilly was as good in The Haunted Mansion as she was in... No, let me strike that. She had a horrendous script to work with as Leota. But, obviously, between the two films, she is much better as Celia.
1: Absolutely, but I think she was the best part of Haunted Mansion though that's not saying much so clearly this was the better role for Jennifer Tilly yeah and I love Celia's aesthetic too that she's got kind of the Medusa thing happening with snakes coming out of her hair and they did animate them and they do take on her emotions and they rattle when she's angry I thought that was like a really subtle but very humorous touch
0: yeah I mean listen it goes without saying this is one of the best ensemble casts that Disney has ever put together. And if you haven't been sold on that with the first three people that we mentioned, you I mean, Steve Buscemi, another actor who has had an astounding career, people forget that he has I mean, his acting career he, he didn't he, he didn't go to film school. He didn't come out of college or out of high school pursuing film. I mean, this guy was a New York City firefighter after 9-11 went down to pull survivors out of the rubble with his old firehouse. Steve Buscemi is an incredible human being. He's almost as good an actor as he is a person. And you put him in this movie as Randall. And uh, similar to Mike, similar to Sully, there are... are I can't even call it the short list. You, uh, There's no one else that could have played this role.
1: No, and what I love about it, too, is that he doesn't always read Steve Buscemi. Sometimes you get that inflection. To me, my favorite Steve Buscemi role is Nucky Thompson in Boardwalk Empire. But when I think to his performance in that series, it's always just pretty much a straight delivery. And that's his voice, and that's how, how it sounds. Here, as Randall, he doesn't have quite the drawl that he always does, and I sometimes forget that it's him. But he's just fantastic.
0: Yeah. Bob Peterson plays Roz. Roz is my spirit animal.
1: We haven't said enough
0: about Roz yet. Because here's the funny thing with Roz... She's sort of silly comic relief in the very beginning, mostly because of Peterson's delivery. Mm-hmm. And then she goes away for a long time. And then she comes back as an undercover agent for the CDA. So she plays a bigger role in the film than you think she's going to play because you think she's just straight comic relief. And actually, like I had not sat and watched this movie in a long time. And I kind of forgot that that was what her ultimate role was in the movie.
1: Well, I think that's the brilliance of not giving her so much screen time because you're right, you do forget. But that was something that I noticed too. You know, she's always harping on, Mike's got to do the paperwork. I always thought that was such a brilliant setup for why Sully doub- doubles back and discovers Randall because he's trying to cover for his buddy and and do the right thing and let Mike go on the date. Um, So it's been set up because Roz is always nagging him for it. Um, But they completely bring that full circle that she's not just a receptionist, she's not just a paper pusher. She has a small but integral role in this film. And I like that they capitalize on that at the Laugh Factory.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because when I hear the music... Now, this was Randy Newman. He's brilliant again. Um, when I hear the music for this movie, for some reason, I like, like if I hear You've Got a Friend in Me, if I hear Let It Go, these are songs that I have heard, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, things that I hear in the park flittering. I don't think about the parks. I think about their respective films. When I hear the music from this movie and I hear the score from this movie, I immediately think about the park's I know it's from Monsters, Inc., but I don't think about the movie. I think about being at the Magic Kingdom.
1: I think part of that has to do with that we usually start our day in Tomorrowland, so being that it is one of the first things that we hear, it kind of does set off vacation mode for me, but I think it also has to do with that ride being such a perfect extension of this film. As far as, you know, I said before that It does put us into a real-world situation of what happens if Randall succeeds and they're kidnapping our children to scare them. It brings us back into the world. Obviously, it's a fully immersive experience. I think it's brilliant how they set it up to be a comedy show and how it's interactive. And granted, after you've gone on a couple of times and you know, the guy's going to buy the whole audience, all the churros. Yeah. You're going
0: to get the other one that dances. Yeah.
1: It does get a little stale, but just as far as being on brand with the film, I really think it's one of the most underrated attractions as far as representing the movie. Um, And I think, to your point, that also has to do with the music. Um, Because the score, to me, it kind of has a loungy feel, and that definitely serves to the Laugh Factory.
0: So what are your final thoughts of Monsters, Inc.?
1: I actually think I'm going to give this one perfect marks. It may not be as classic as some of the other ones that we've given a perfect score to, like... Aladdin, like Jason Siegel's Muppets, like Mary Poppins, but to me, this film just does every single thing right. You've got a fantastic script. It's not only a great story, but the subtlety in the dialogue is absolutely fantastic. You've got to pull from Jeffrey Katzenberg, unforgettable characters, uh, not just in Mike and Sully, but... In your villains and in Roz, as we mentioned, even and, and Celia, your secondary characters are standouts as well.
0: Yeah, because even Boo is a secondary character if you really think about it.
1: Very true. And she's a scene stealer for as few lines as she has. She's not kitty. even speaking real words. She's a kitty and Mike Wazowski. But she's adorable. Yeah. And I think for world building alone, perfect marks.
0: I think it's just about there. Um, like I said, Waternoose, I mean, not not the best villain out there. Did you need him to do more for this? Probably not. Um, but otherwise, I think that the movie does such a great job with the Easter eggs. I mentioned them before. Like Even when they decide that they're going to be a laugh factory and not a scare factory, they have the Gallagher tribute with George because he's got the watermelon and the mallet um and the
1: groucho uh glasses yeah yeah, they do tip the hat to uh the comedic icons
0: yeah so between that and you know as you pointed out with harry housen's i mean so clever in their tributes to classic hollywood and and things that are on brand for what they're doing but the characters as you said are great um it is quickly becoming one of my favorite disney movies the more i watch it um I didn't watch it a ton when it first came out, but I do find myself now wanting to watch more of it and wanting to watch it more frequently. Because admittedly, this was one that I hadn't revisited in quite some time.
1: Well, I think that's a great point, too, is that the rewatchability factor is definitely it's there. through the roof. And you do find more things to appreciate as an adult.
0: But we're interested in getting your say on Monsters, Inc. You can give us your review on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week coming up, but first, a quick break.
2: If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalesi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was Perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zolezzi from Magical Vacation Planner.
1: So if you would like to plan a trip to Disney World or Disneyland, get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com.
0: News this week, Mulan drops on Disney Plus as a premium purchase, and we have let our opinions known and how we feel about that, and I'm sure we will again in just a moment here. However, it seems as if it was a successful decision for Disney Plus because Disney Plus app downloads are up 68% over the course of Labor Day weekend with subscriber spending trending upwards 139% thanks to the release of Mulan.
1: You know, I never want to root for Disney to fail, especially in times like these. And we're seeing, you know, park hours getting cut back because attendance is down. But I was really kind of hoping this would just flop because I don't want to set the precedent that it's okay to charge $30 on top of what we're already spending.
0: Well, the other thing is we mentioned on the show a few times this is what Disney said they were never going to do. Now, of course, this is very different because there was no global pandemic that closed everything forever when Disney Plus had launched.
1: Yeah, I certainly don't think they lied about it. No. I think they just changed their mind. And I mean, every company, every individual has had to pivot this year. So I get it. I do.
0: But for me personally, I refuse to do VOD. I will not do video on demand because to me, I think this sets a dangerous precedent where if the industry as a whole, becomes dependent, almost codependent, on VOD, you will see the death of the movie theater. And I refuse to play a hand in that personally. For me, I'm willing to wait until December when this is included in our regular membership.
1: I agree. I'm I'm willing to wait for it. So I apologize to our listeners who did want us to do either a monoreal in a, in a minute or a full review on it. Um, it's not that we don't care enough to do that for you. We do, but you know you said it best it's going to hurt the industry and as someone who works in the industry i really have to stand my ground here and i i can't support something i mean i see the value in it for a family of 4 because sure. In that regard, you are saving money. $30 is much less than taking two children to go to the movies. But as a pair, not worth it for us to do. And and I'm, I'm not going to take the hit on it.
0: Right. And this isn't like buying something on Amazon where you spend your $30 and you have it forever. You spend your $30 now to get an advanced screening for all intents and purposes. You have it for as long as you have Disney Plus. So if you decide that you're going to cancel your Disney Plus subscription, the movie that you purchased does not port over with you.
1: You basically rented it for $30. Yes,
0: and it's like an 8-week rental for 30 bucks. But listen, I'm I got a review from somebody who I trust very much that said we spent $30 on a movie that isn't worth 3 cents. And I've heard a lot of mixed reviews, so You're just going to have to wait until it's included in the regular subscription to get our review. But after hearing that, I am in no rush to go out and spend an additional $30. I'm not even tempted like when somebody says, don't watch The Room. And you go rent The Room out of curiosity. Like, I'm not even, my interest isn't even peaked that far.
1: I agree. But I am interested to know what our listeners think if they watched it, if they didn't pay for it. Uh, you know, if they're taking the same stance that we are, we, we want to hear you sound off.
0: Yeah, you can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Hey, we're also on TikTok as well, so make sure that you guys are following us on all of our social media platforms. And don't forget that you can subscribe to Monoreal Radio on your podcast platform of choice or get links to every episode of the show at monorealradio.com. And don't forget as well, it's always appreciated, and we love hearing from you. If you could go ahead and leave us one of those great reviews over on iTunes. We love hearing what you guys have to say about the show. Thank you so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. We are very excited for what the next few weeks have in store for you. And uh, next week, we're going back to school with Monsters University. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone.